quick disclaimer at the top of this episode. Uh, we recorded this Milan San Remo preview before the news came out that Julian Alaphilippe has bronchitis and will not be competing. Now, in light of that, please take our predictions, and more specifically, of course, my prediction, with a very, very heavy pinch of salt. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. The first of the official monuments is upon us. Milan San Remo, a 300-kilometer slog from the Italian fashion hub down to the French border. A race that favours no specific type of rider, except, maybe, the phenom that is Taddy Pogaccia. Joining me to discuss how the race will play out is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Yeah, hi everyone. I'm very good, thanks. I think I'm a bit better than you are. You're stuck in quarantine at the moment. Yeah. Um, look, Tom, let's think back for when COVID kind of started. And you. I've got COVID, by the way. That's the the preface to that bit um when you first got covid because you went to italy when it was kind of like fresh and new and everyone was terrified of it and when you had covid it was something really exciting now i've got covid and it just feels like a monotonous but it feels a bit old school yeah we made a big deal out of it when we recorded the episode when i had covid and um now no one cares yeah i remember every time you coughed i was like oh my god his life is on the line here and he's sat recording a podcast yeah, uh, well, actually, when I had COVID, I was fine. My mum's got COVID at the moment, and she's in a really bad way, apparently. I spoke to her today, and she's like, I can't get out of bed. And I was like, oh, well, I was fine. So, oh, really sorry to hear yeah. that. Yeah, well, she, um, if she ever listens to this, which she should, but never does, then she'd know that we're thinking of her. But sh- she will never hear me say that. So This is it. I'm, I'm being, you know, very serious about my isolation. The rules in this country are not... Non-existent. Be- non-existent, essentially. Um obviously not it's not ideal being cooped up inside my room which is about as wide as i am long but i'm taking some perspective thousands and thousands of people have died in this country from it so the fact that i've got a slight cough and a scratchy throat is fine anyway we're not here to talk about covid tom no it's we come are at the just... perfect time for you hasn't it because there's 300 kilometers of cycling to watch this weekend oh i couldn't have been happier yeah. um <laughs> we are discussing in this episode tom the big favorite for the race tade pogacha the master of making the unpredictable predictable. What are his chances? Well, if you want me to quantify it specifically, the bookies have him at six to one. So those are his chances. But for me, I think this is one step too far for him. He's gone out on record himself and said, this is the hardest race for him to win. And I really just don't think it suits him. You know what, Tom? I agree with you. Um, Which doesn't happen too often on this podcast, but... I just we're going to go through a number of reasons here as to why we don't think Pogaccio will win. Obviously, he probably will win because that's how he operates. But let's kind of let's go through them. You mentioned there how he said it was one of the hardest races to win. He said it's one of the easiest races to finish, but one of the hardest races to win. I have a quote as well here from Matej Mohoric, a fellow Slovenian, who said uh, on his profile section on the Bahrain Victorious website that his favorite race is Milan San Remo, that he hopes to win it one day. He says, it wears off your legs in the first six hours, but nothing really happens. And then you are challenged by the hardest hour of racing there is. Should we go through the route first, Tom? Yeah, um, I've got it up here. It's pretty standard, to be honest, although you pointed out to me that they didn't have the Turquino in there last year at 
it is at 142.9k um and they brought that back in this year and then i don't to be honest most of it i don't really know because it is basically all flat until the two final climbs in the last um 30k or so so we've got yeah i mean the the, the Paso del Turquino. Is it Turquino or Turchino? Uh, I would say Turquino. Okay. No, you know, you're the authority on Italian here. So I'm yeah, but I, no, but I do get it wrong quite frequently. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, that comes basically bang on halfway through. That was swapped out last year because of a landslide. It's back. It will be just as inconsequential as it has been previously. They'll roll over it, roll back down the other side. 60 kilometers to go, we have the three Capi which are essentially tiny lumps in the road, again, inconsequential for this race. Then we've got the two iconic climbs in inverted commas because then more kind of big hills of the Cipresa. Cipresa or Cipresa? Cipresa, yeah. Cipresa at 20 kilometers to go. Then the Poggio with about six kilometers to go. Then the flat finish on the Via Roma. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what Mohoric said. And this is obviously the same thing that gets said about the race every year. Those climbs are just you know, glorified hills, as you said, but it's a bit different after 270k on uh, in the saddle, on the pedals, when your legs are completely gone before you've even started. Let's get in then to why this race is not going to be as straightforward for Tade Pogacar as some people are musing that it will be. Put simply, first of all, the race is maybe not hard enough, and I'm not implying that Tade can't do the easy stuff, what I'm trying to say in that is that it will just be even harder for him to shake off the rest of the pack. This is one of the only races really that I can think of where you have Grand Tour winners in Vincenzo Nibli, who's won it before, um, alongside you know Arno Demar, Mark Cavendish, Alexander Kristoff, they've all won it before, all contesting for the same prize. This is not the Grand Colombia of the Tour de France. This is not the Col du Porte, where it comes down to a select field at the end and Pogacar is generally the strongest on an incline i don't think there's enough space in this race or enough kind of room for him to maneuver and shake off the entirety of the other contenders that's it for me i think if there's one aspect of his riding that is lacking it might be the straight line speed on the flat and this is the one race of the year where the fast guys the one classic sorry where the fast guys can you know, make it to the finish line and really give it a go. As you said, like for Mark Cavendish to be able to win it, it's got to be, there can't be that much climbing in it when he was in his pomp. <laughs> so this is why the tactic historically has been get to the Poggio and either a puncher rider or a climber will kind of attack there and hope to descend their way to the finish. And what happens in that motion or, or in that sequence is that their team will set an infernal pace and try and shake off the sprinters. We saw that in, I think it was 2020, with Sam Bennett, tongue out of his mouth, gasping for air out the back of the peloton. Um, other riders, Caleb Ewan, for example, is one that has always managed to stick in and, and stay with the pack. But that's usually the tactic, and which is why, you know, you don't want to drag your Wout van Aert to the finish line because we know what happens, and we've seen what happens when Wout van Aert gets to the finish line in San Remo. Yeah, well, you mentioned Caleb Ewan there. He's nine to two with the bookies. Going into this episode, I have gone down the bookies list of uh, who's who's going to be there and who's not. So I know all the odds. And it's that man you've just mentioned as well, Wout van Aert. He's the main reason why uh, Tadej Pogacar is not going to win because I don't think there's any pace that can be set on a climb of that length that will drop Wout van Aert. And once he's there at the finish line, he's got the straight line speed to you know compete with 
anyone. Where he is probably missing the high altitude climbing ability, I think he more than makes up for it with his straight line speed on the flat where Pogacar might go missing. So let's compare where those two riders are coming from then. We've got Tadej Pogacar comes off the back of winning Terreno Adriatico reasonably comfortably, it's probably fair to say. Um, but Pogacar being Pogacar, he couldn't, he wasn't happy winning it comfortably. He went out and attacked everybody when he basically had the race in the bag um, in, in the latter stages. Wout van Aert, on the other hand, has come from Paris-Nice, where he performed very well in the first four stages, I think. Won the points classification as well, didn't he? He won the points classification, yeah. but he kind of, well, you know what I was going to say? I was going to say then that he took his foot off the pedal a bit, but now I've got that image of him towing Primoz Roglic up the Col du Torini. Maybe that's not fair to say that, but I guess that kind of shows his climbing pedigree. That goes to show that, you know, if you've got Wout van Aert setting the pace for Primoz Roglic, you know, no pace that the UAE train is going to set is going to shake off Wout van Aert at the moment. No, I don't think so. And to shake him off, you're going to need more than a hill, which is what you've described the Poggio as, for example. Like, I just don't think it's long enough or steep enough to cause him any real problems. You never know. It depends. You know, the weather could be appalling as well. If it's 300k in the rain, that is just going to be attritional and some people just won't be able to keep up with any pace on that anyway. Um, but I just certainly think he's got the strength, the endurance and the ability to get himself to position with 3k to go. And I think if you want to beat Wout van Aert, you've got to, you've got to go on the final descent rather than try and beat him to the line. Let me have a look. It's interesting to say about the weather. I mean, I'm pretty certain that the weather's going to be fine in mid-March in San Remo. Let's know. Let's let's check what the weather's going to be like. Saturday, 16 degrees, 19 mile an hour winds in San Remo. So that could make a difference. Probably not. Um, the two climbs we're talking about, Tom, the Cipressa, Cipressa, sorry, and the Poggio. Now, if you're not familiar with those two climbs, they are both basically ramped at about 4% average. The Cipressa is the one that comes first, 5.6 kilometers in length. Then about two kilometers to go, the riders will crest the Poggio, which is shorter, 3.6 kilometers in, in, in length. The Cipressa is the one that everybody is kind of baiting Taddy Pogacar to go on. He said in an interview recently that it's doable from there, um, but he said anything earlier requires something very special. Now, Tom, here's a question for you. When do you think the last successful attack on the Cipressa was? Oh, I feel like this is something I should know. I'm trying to go back through the list of winners. And I'm thinking that would be someone like Nibali who might have done it. Incorrect. It's much further back. Uh, no, I'm really struggling then. Uh, other than Cav in 2009, I'm not sure I can go back much further than that. We're talking, Tom, before the turn of the century. Uh, then I've got no chance. Nobody has won on a suppressor attack since Gabriele Colombo in 1996 it, it generally doesn't pay off um the poggio is where poggy will go i think oh you've been waiting to say that for a while haven't you <laughs> <laughs> let's not linger on it let's just leave that out there um that is alaphilippe's favorite climb basically to attack on when he has well when he won it in 2019 he attacked going over the poggio well he he attacks alaphilippe and i tell you this is exactly what happened again on saturday Alaphilippe will attack with just over six kilometers to go. You could set your watch by it. Mm -hmm. He did that in 2020. He did that in 2019. That's his favorite spot to go. And I think that is where I wouldn't be surprised to see Pogacar try and pull a quick one on Alaphilippe 
So Pogacar to go maybe from the foot of the Poggio and then descend like a bat out of hell. Yeah, I mean, either way, I wouldn't be surprised if those two went together, to be honest, because they could, If obviously, they've got, I would say either of them have got more chance if they can work themselves into a little group, maybe going over the top and then, you know, just get to the line ahead of the main bunch. Okay, so this is what Pogaccia had to say about those two climbs. He said, the Cipresso is not so steep. There's the Poggio, but a lot of riders can get over it and at speed, including some of the sprinters, which is what we've been saying. Uh, he said, I'm not the rider with all the best options to win it. Of course, if I get a chance, I'll go for it. What, what do you, how do you react to that quote, Tom? I don't know. That's interesting. And I haven't actually seen the UAE team yet because, you know, assuming people like Mark Hershey and, and that are in there as well, they've got a lot of options who they could, you know, send attacks down the road late on to try and go for the one, the one, two. So this, I'm glad you've come on to this time because obviously we don't have the official start list in, in not very TT podcast fashion. We're getting a preview out quite early here. They have, well, I'm sure they'll have Matteo Trentin ride, uh, riding, you know, the famous Irish rider, Matteo Trentin. Um, he is a very consistent finisher in Milan San Remo. 2021 and 2019, he was in the top, I think like top 10. He was there. He was there at the sharp end is what I'm trying to say. A clever thing to do, I think, would be send Pogaccia on the decoy. I mean, he is undoubtedly going to be the most marked man in San Remo this weekend. Send Pogaccia on the decoy, counter with Trentin all the way to the line. I'm not sure that's how it will play out, and I'm not sure Pogaccia is really the guy you send as a decoy when he's on the form that he is on at the moment. No, but I mean, that's the thing. It's quite clear that a lot of these teams are going in, you know, with quite a few uh, feathers to their bow. You know, they've got more than one option and the tactics on the road will play just as much of a part as the individual ability of each rider. Two questions I have for you, Tom, now about whether you think Pogac has got it in his arsenal to win this race. First question, can Taddy Pogac win long races like Milan San Remo? Uh, yes. Correct, he can. He won Liege Baston Liege in uh, whatever it was last year. That's a 260 kilometer race. He's also won Il Lombardia, which is a 240 kilometer race. What is the difference between those two races and this one? Uh, well, Lombardia is late in the season and quite hilly. Um, uh, Liege Baston Liege. I don't know. I would I, the, the the route for Lombardia changes, but Liege Baston Liege quite often features an uphill finish as well. Liège equally is a very demanding race. Yeah. Although he won that one, if I remember correctly, he won that one in a sprint finish. So you know, we know if it comes down to it, he can kick into the uh, into the finish line. Second question, big question: Does Tadi Pogacar have the patience for Milan San Remo? Oh, that that's a good question because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking he is, could, it, a, is it a good question? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking he could try another 50k move and see if it works. Uh, but I, I mean, I just don't think they'd let him go. Uh, but again, he sort of showed in Strade that if he wants to leave the entire peloton behind, he is strong enough to do it. He is. Now, we are obviously not doubting that. And we said a lot about that last week. What I've done, Tom, is um, drawn on my math GCSE and I've kind of scaled up how far out he tends to go or how far out he likes to go. Now, 
Strada Bianchi, what was it? 50 kilometer attack, 60 kilometer attack. More or less. He launched, more or less. And that race is about what, 180 kilometers long? 184, 185? You're the Strade Bianchi expert. We're on, now that we're onto the proper monuments, this is where I start uh, coming to the fore. Okay, perfect. <laughs> now, he's attacked basically with a third of the race to go there. The bold thing to do in San Remo, do you see where I'm getting at with, with this? Possibly. If he attacks with a third of the race to go in San Remo, that's 100 kilometers to go. Yeah. I do don't you think, think he's he... capable of a 100 kilometer time trial? Uh, no, okay. to be honest, um, <laughs> that, that would that would be the most impressive ride anyone's ever seen. You could see him do it. That's this is why he's been talking about the Chipresa and the Poggio. He's waiting for everybody to uh to think he's going to go then, and he's going to go with a hundred kilometers bluff. to go. Go with a hundred kilometers to go. Throw yourself on the back of a motorbike. Hold that wheel when you're flying. Okay. Um, I disagree. I don't think he can do that. Okay. No, you know what? I, I, I don't agree either, to be honest. It's unprecedented. It's never been done before, and it would require a superhuman level of strength and effort. Um, let me talk you through now, Tom, how the race has been won in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Counting back, can you remind us who has won the race each time? Uh, oh, you've caught me off guard there because I remember watching it last year. I can, um, no, I can see you typing there. Don't <laughs> look at the screen. No, hands I am up, hands where I can see them, please. Okay, I've got the list of winners up now. Happy days. Right, no, that, okay. <laughs> that was it. I was trying to remember who won last year. Um, Go on. I believe it was Jasper Stuyven, if I had to make a guess. <laughs> it was Jasper Stuyven. Um, um, which I did watch, and I remember he made a, a late break and shocked everyone. Um, I know that two years before that, Julian Alaphilippe won because you said that five minutes ago. <laughs> um, and and you said he always attacks from about 6k to go, so I'm assu- assuming he did something similar. Yep, and in 2020? Uh, it was Wout van Aert. It was Wout van Aert. Now, who I wouldn't expect, to be honest, to make a late break on the climbs, but I'm guessing that because you've asked that question that's how it's been won the last three years no no the point i'm trying to make with this segment tom is that there is no routine way of winning milan san remo okay that's a trick question let's start with the most recent um version of the race so 2021 jasper sturven of trek segafredo springs a surprise one on the pack everybody's eyeballing each other jasper sturven two kilometers to go chucks himself off the front He's not gone over the top of the Poggio. He's waited till they're kind of near the end of the descent of it. All that, that windy descent as you come in through the little suburbs of San Remo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll remember a certain Team DSM rider bridging across to him. Bold of you to assume I will, but I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about anyway. <laughs> Soren Cry Anderson. It wasn't okay. Roman Lombardo. Okay. <laughs> Soren Cry Anderson bridged across. Everyone thought this is heartbreak for Stoven. Not sure if he's got the kick on this one. Suddenly, Stuyven's got the kick. He rides off the wheel of Stuyven Anderson yep. and wins with Matteo van der Poel bearing down on him. 2020, a different story. Alaphilippe attacks in his favourite spot on the Poggio, six and a bit kilometres to go. Goes over the top. Wout van Aert catches him on the descent. Then we have a two-up sprint for the line that Wout wins on basically a photo finish. 2019, Alaphilippe attacks with just over six kilometers to go. Same as he did in 2020. He obviously thought, you know, this is a, a formula that works. Um, 
a select bunch kind of regrouped on the descent. So this is kind of what happens. Somebody goes on the poggio, tests the legs, sees what everyone else is feeling. On the descent, it regroups. And then you need somebody to either go off on the flat or it's come to, down to a bunch sprint. That year, Alaphilippe won it. Um, kind of against all odds. There were some very strong riders in there. Um, and I think Alaphilippe could be the man to do it again this year. I... The, that was the, a long, long pause from you there, Tom. Yeah, because I never think Julian Alaphilippe's going to win. I never back him, and he quite often proves me wrong. Oh, the two-time I, world champion, Julian Alaphilippe. Yeah. Um, Just checking we're talking about the same person. I am all in for Wout Van Aert this year. Yeah. Should we, let's talk about the contenders then. So if we're saying is not going to win San Remo, let's talk about who is going to win San Remo. Wout Van Aert. Right, okay. Let, ooh, let's try and make this segment a little bit longer, Tom. Um <laughs> My tactic here is going to be, and full disclosure, throw as many names out there and it's inevitably going to be one of them. Okay, well, I've got two more names I would like to give special mention to. Okay, I'm not going to ask you about Wout Van Aert because he's won it before, so we know he's got the pedigree. Um, so let's go. Who are the other two riders? Uh, I'm not sure they're going to win, but the first, for obvious reasons, is Philippe Gilbert for the emotional one. If he can win all five monuments, that would be absolutely magic at the age of whatever he is, 30, late 30s now. If I remember correctly, Tom, I'm pretty sure we made a deal a while back that if Philippe yeah, Gilbert wins a race, we will don Belgian cycling jerseys and go we'll on a go night for, out somewhere. For a night out in Durham. <laughs> which is not easy because now you live in Edinburgh and I live in London. So maybe we could find somewhere in between. Edinburgh to Durham is not that difficult, to be honest. Yeah, well, look, I think maybe we can go somewhere bigger. We, need to, we can find somewhere that has some sort of significance to Philippe Gilbert. Well, he lives in Monaco. We'll just go there. Oh, okay, perfect. We'll go to yeah. Monaco. <laughs> um, so Philippe Gilbert, yeah, this is his only remaining monument to win. Yeah, and the other name is, uh, you did mention him, is, is Mathieu van der Poel. I think he might be making an appearance this week. I don't think he is. I think he's down for Flanders. I don't think he's quite back for this one. If he's there, I wouldn't be shocked if he tried to spring a surprise on everyone. If he's there, which he won't be, he could win, which he won't because he's not going to be there. Now, it's I not the a... bold statement you think it is. If he's there, he could win. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's another uh, few people that if they are there, they could win. Um, Sonic Obrelli, who, albeit withdrew from Paris with bronchitis, um, Mate Mohoric, I think, is somebody who is always, you know, it is, if the race is over 275 kilometers, Mohoric is targeting it. But he pulled out of Strada Bianchi with a bad knee, so I'm not sure. Which potentially opens the uh, opens the door for Fred Wright to come through as the uh, the lead man for uh, for Byron Victorious. That would be a delight, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll let you muster up that image in your head. But imagine twenty two year old Fred Wright, you know, shocking the cycling aloft, world, shocking the cycling world in Stuyven fashion. Um, Trenton, I've said before, Trenton would be somebody who I think could win this race. Alaphilippe is very very consistent at Milan San Remo, 16th last year, but then second, first, forget about 2018, third. He's podium three times in the last five years. Here's a question for you, Tom. Actually, I've got two more questions for you. There is one rider who is particularly consistent at Milan San Remo. In his last 11 appearances, he has had nine top tens. Who am I talking about? Oh, nine is... top ten. Nine top tens in his last eleven appearances. 
you know what? There's a name that immediately came to mind, and I think it's someone who you did briefly mention earlier. But I don't know if it's right or not. Go on. But the only name I've got is Alexander Kristoff. No. Um, no. Another clue as to who it is. They have never won the race. No, Nine top tens and have never won the race. Um, I mean, it's not going to be Valverde because you would never ask a question to which he is the answer, even though he's got a reputation for always getting podiums and um, not won the race. Consistent top ten gets San Remo. Nah, I'll give you a few. I'll give you a few more clues. One of the best classics riders off the post Boone and Cancellara era. It's not Peter Sagan, is it? It is Peter Sagan. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't think of him. Nine top tens in 11 appearances. Yeah, How I mean, consistent that really does... is that? I just, it shocks me that he hasn't won it, to be honest, basically, because, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely the sort of race that would suit him as well. Well, clearly, yeah. he's just never um, won it. Sadly, I don't think his time will come in the same way with Philippe Gilbert, I think they've kind of had their go at this race and I don't think it's going to happen, especially not with Sagan in Total Energy kit. Let's talk Ineos. Ineos have got a few a few different options to play. So we've got Philippe O'Gana. Another Irishman. Another Irishman who's probably not going to go for this one. Um, Tom Pidcock. Yeah, Pidcock's one who certainly this season um, definitely is, you know, is going to be a protagonist in most big races, but... I don't know, maybe he's he's quite young, maybe he's not really done a race of, you know, this distance before or not been at the sharp end of a race of... The 300k at San Remo does make a big difference, and I'm not sure that that plays to Pickcock's strengths either. So the trick to San Remo, Tom, from me, somebody who has never been to San Remo or ridden further than about 120 kilometers in my life, is fueling. And I worry about Tom Pitcock because he's very small. And he won't have that many, you know, reserves of energy on his body. Yeah. So small. someone like Tom Pidcock is going to have to take on so much more fuel than somebody like Jasper Stuyven, Filippo Gana. No, he doesn't because you burn less energy in a smaller frame. It all evens out. Is that true? I feel like I'm getting into science territory here that I'm not particularly comfortable or qualified talking about. I don't know. It's like all the best marathon runners are, um, all the best runners in general are, are quite short. I think that... I remember they used to say, like, all sprinters, you had to be below a certain height because um, you just need that explosiveness out the blocks and the short strides to get quick acceleration. And then Bolt turned up and ruined everything <laughs> at, the, at being six foot four or whatever he is. Sprinters then. Mm -hmm. Elio Viviani, another option for Ineos to, like, to play there. I, for I keep forgetting he was there. Yeah, um, Italian as well. There's a few of these. I, I was going to go back to Colbrelli when you said him as well because I thought... Um, you know, he had a stunning end to last season, which I mentioned quite a few times, and is Italian. And I think Colbrelli and Viviani are sort of riders of a similar ilk. And yeah, anyone like that has a chance in a race like this. Mm -hmm. And the final person that I wanted to tip um, amongst all of those was Casper Asgreen, who I think has been going well. Won Flanders. Yeah, that's... I don't know. With Quickstep, they're a bit of a... I don't know what their tactics would be for this race. They're a bit of a... Well, it's got to be Alaphilippe, doesn't it? Yeah, but I don't know, as we saw with Australia, I know Alaphilippe came off his bike at Australia and then they sort of didn't switch to Asgreen until too late. But he's another one who, as you said, look, if everyone's going to be marking Alaphilippe out of it, just send him up the road and he's one who can easily then win it for himself. 
Mm-hmm. But this is what you're talking about marking. Let's go back to something I said a little earlier. Is I think everybody's going to be marking Pogacar, which will give Alaphilippe not free reign, of course, because you know he is the world champion, Julian Alaphilippe. But it will give him space to move, I think. And he's he, look. He used Terreno Adriatico as a bit of a training ride. I think of on all the stages, the highest he came was like thirty fifth or something. He didn't get in the top thirty on any of the stages. So he's got good legs. He's been racing in Italy. You know, he's settled into the country. Stop! Come on. Apart Stop from when he got chucked, chucked off his bike at Strada Bianchi. Uh, uh, whilst looking wait, very wait, settled. Mark my words. Six and a bit kilometers to go. It'll be about 6.2, 6.3 kilometers to go. Alaphilippe will attack on the Poggio. Somebody will catch him on the descent. Im- immediately be reeled in and then someone else will win the race. Yeah, UAE will catch him on the descent. Pogaccia will be right on his wheel. Pogaccia will try and attack. Alaphilippe will hold him and Alaphilippe will round him at the end. That's how, that uh, is how it will play out. And then Ewan storms through. We haven't even mentioned Kelebjörn. Do you think he could win it? I, I think he's one of those names that people throw I in def- every single uh, time. No, but he's I just definitely don't think he could win. He's good enough to get over the climbs. And yeah, if he's there at the end, he's the quickest guy there. Okay. So if I had to pressure you for one name out of all of that. Wout van Aert. Wout van Aert. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Can't sway you with Alaphilippe. Look, I'd be, as I said, I've been at the bookies. I've had a look at the odds. And if I hadn't lost a load of money at Cheltenham today, I'd be straight there on Wout van Aert. <laughs> okay. Um, so we'll see. That is Saturday. Basically the entire day. It's six and a bit hours of racing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, spare a thought for the riders who are going to have to fuel in that time, time their nature breaks, all the while sitting on a tiny plastic saddle or carbon saddle, if you want, in the posh teams, for six and a half hours. I mean, I don't really spare a thought for them. It's their job. They get paid. Most of them get paid quite well to do it. And it's a lot of that race is just as difficult to watch as it is to ride in. It gets very interesting towards the end. <laughs> right. Well, don't spare a thought for the riders. Spare a thought for Tom <laughs> and his attention span. Um, now, Tom, if people want to write into us and give us their Milan San Remo predictions, where can they do that? Oh, socials time. They can find us at TT. Every single week, you're surprised that this comes. <laughs> Uh, they, that's because you do all the tweeting I go on about once a week just to see what you've said <laughs> of all the people that should know the format of this podcast you should be in the top two at least uh, well you can go to TTPDCST on Twitter and Instagram correct. is that correct? Yes. that is correct um, question for you Tom at what point will you be tuning into the race on Saturday? Well, that's what, I was say. I, what I've just said before I love this race obviously I have the greatest respect for the riders when they finish it because it is so long and so difficult but as part of that it's not the best spectator sport for the first 200k or so um so yeah last couple of hours maybe that's that's when to tune in last couple of hours that's that's a bold stint oh i mean it's not the same you know when the tour's on in the summer and it's the middle of july and when it used to be school holidays as well when i was younger i could i would happily sit through every minute of every stage every day you're watching the the neutralized rollout at the start. Oh, regularly. Prudhomme out the top of the car, like, oh, here we go. Here's the flag drop. Love the flag drop. The race is about to start. You know, you have them roll through 180k of French countryside, pan flat, and wait for the sprint at the end. See some nice chateaus. Um, cool. I, I'll be honest, Tom. I think I'm probably going to tune in some point before the Chipressa. You're not allowed outside, so you've got oh, nothing that's true. else to say. Oh, <laughs> you know what? During this podcast, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> and for a moment, I was caught up in the beautiful narratives of cycling in Italy. 
and I've just been reminded of my uh, my rude reality at the moment. Yeah, so you'll be spending Saturday under a duvet with a takeaway. <laughs> Take a takeaway at half eight in the morning. <laughs> um, anyway, that's that. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to us. Disclaimer, Pogacar probably will win Milan Sanremo and he'll probably win every single race after that. Um, so yeah, thank you. And we will speak to you maybe next week with a rundown of why we were so horrifically wrong in this episode. We will. Thanks, everyone. Take care.